Mish, I, I wonder if you might be willing to share uh, with listeners some aspect of your own background, your own personal experiences that help you write with greater authenticity and thinking of um, some of the elements that we've discussed um, before we started the show about um, times that you have put yourself at personal risk or experienced danger or had some some encounter with espionage elements or terrorism or something that has allowed you to lend greater authenticity to your espionage-based characters? I had, a, I had a while of a time when I was 28. It was a wonderful time. I was um, over, over in Dubai setting up a university with Sam. Mm. Um, it was an English university um, and uh, it was all based on the on the British system mm -hmm. and it was completely new. I mean, and uh, when I say that I set it up with my husband, I actually did that. So there was nothing there. They mm -hmm. gave us a building and that was it. So we had to <laughs> people. Yeah, I mean, really, really. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, the, the logistics of creating a, an education facility, much less a system, um, is a massive undertaking. And oh uh, wow, you cannot! Oh, and yeah. we had it running within three months. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> we didn't sleep much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, three months of 120-hour work weeks. Yeah, I know how that Wait. happened. Yeah. It was just crazy, but you can only do that when you're young. You can only do that when no, you're young. And, and, it would near on kill me if I did something like that. Yeah, now. And, and was something <laughs> that you, that you're passionate about, and that you believe yeah. in making it succeed against all the odds. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. I mean, the British Embassy was really, really supportive and everything else. Um, but we had other people uh, all around the world. We had Americans. We had Australians. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had people from New Zealand. Um, we had, uh, obviously, um, uh, people from the likes of Turkey. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we had Moroccans as well. You know, so it, it was really quite a fascinating time. I mean, really multicultural as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was very dangerous because mm -hmm. it was... Um, it was um, the uh, co-education... Mm -hmm. So we were putting boys and girls in the same class together. And Which this was a, quite, a very different wow. new thing over there. Yeah. Wow. We had yeah. death threats. We mm -hmm. had death threats every day. Uh, my husband had a Kalashnikov put in his face. Um, we had to check underneath the car for bombs every day. Mm. Um, it was it was really crazy. <laughs> yeah, but anyway. And, yeah. and to have to have done all of that and faced all of that, that experience, that knowing that mm. you have that intestinal fortitude mm. to Absolutely. not be cowed into doing Never. what you know is wrong um, no. is absolutely, a, I think, a very liberating thing for people to experience. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I'm actually one of these individuals who's pretty fearless. Um, <laughs> in fact, my, mom, my late mum used to call me, where there's no sense, there's no feeling. <laughs> she was used to yes. say, you know, you're, you're, you're fearless to the point of stupidity, Michelle. <laughs> But anyway, that, that's me. That's me. I'm, I'm just that all over, basically. I'm, I mean, I've, I have saved lives uh, mm -hmm. as a result of that yes. attitude as well. Yes. So. Well, and I, I think... You just do it, don't for, you? <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I think for, for one person, right, like, the, you know, you, anecdotally, you know, in our Western society, we always talk about the the ideal of one person being able to make a difference and then the practicality of yeah. the point I'm only one person, but the, the reality of what you've just talked about is that payoff that mm. one or two dedicated people with, with help and assistance, especially from people who want to see positive change can absolutely, absolutely change the world in at mm. least one place. Absolutely. And to have been able to do that for especially the girls and the women of, oh, of yeah. Dubai, their future is permanently and positively altered. Oh, there, yeah. there is a linchpin 
on their timeline in their lives where there's a new positive trajectory because of what you have done. And I am yeah. so envious of, <laughs> of, you, of you knowing exactly where your linchpin is. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we came back as well. We, um, I mean, uh, Sam headed up a few companies and stuff like that. And then he worked a lot with the government. Um, and then we started a charity and we helped over 700,000 kids um, change their lives um, as a result of improving the teaching and learning of science, engineering and technology throughout Mm -hmm. the UK. Um, So we did a lot, we raised funds, we also donated funds, we sold our house, moved into a tiny flat so that we could actually start the whole thing off. Um, so we sold this massive seven-bedroom house and then wow. moved into a tiny flat in London um, and um, and invested the money into actually giving grants. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's it's just a phenomenal experience. And when you see people writing, you have changed my life. Mm-hmm. I cannot mm-hmm. thank you enough. I would not be where I am. I mean, we've changed people who were you know, destined to go into drugs or mm-hmm. destined to go into crime, you know, from broken families. There was one kid who was 15 years old and he was uh, looking after his uh, mum. Uh, she was disabled. The father was a drunkard. He'd walked out, you know, he'd literally broken both her legs to a point where she couldn't walk. Um, and this kid got really into science he would have gone into a gang easily because mm. that was the kind of trajectory that he was moving in. And he's, and he, he sat in a room and he said, you've changed my life completely. I know exactly where I'm going. And, you know, to have that kind of, that kind of feedback, you just, you can't buy that. You can't no. buy that, that kind of feeling. And that's why I, okay. I may have gone down all kinds of different routes. I mean, you know, with a background like finance and law, I could have gone into the city. And indeed I did uh, um, in the very, very early days of uh, my career. I didn't like it. I didn't Mm. like that kind of like inbuilt, you've got to do this, you've got to Mm -hmm. do that. You've got to be the millionaire that, you know, everybody expects you to be. And you've got to step on people and all that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. I wasn't into that at all. I, that doesn't mean to say that I'm not an idiot either. I mean, <laughs> you know, I make money as well. <laughs> but at the same time, I can't, I can't have that kind of mindset that city people have. Mm-hmm. It's just not me. It's just not me. So that's why I went in a completely different um, direction. And I found myself from, you know, doing heavy corporate finance into uh, programming chips. <laughs> silicon chips you know <laughs> so it's a completely different thing completely yes. different thing but that was that was something that i knew i'd found my home mm-hmm. and it's more a spiritual home than even a kind of a it's something that i was very very comfortable and that's what you've got to be and then obviously you know uh, over time there's been lots and lots of other things that have uh, taken over and i've uh, been part of the institute now the, the innovation institute and we're professionalizing innovation throughout the uk and as i say we work a lot with defense with security with aerospace with all the um kind of key defense uh, organizations in the uk as well as transportation life sciences um, construction, uh, instrumentation, manufacturing, all all those kind of uh, areas um, to improve innovation capabilities in in um, as I say product or or people or culture or the uh, overall uh, business model because particularly with COVID everything's changing mm-hmm. uh, yes. and and people are finding that they need to innovate quicker and quicker and in different ways as well. So we're moving more into digitization as well now um, and how people can actually harness digital to actually drive their, their innovation capabilities. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Well, it, you know, I, I think what it, it really sounds like to me in hearing you speak about all this is that you have ultimately found your calling and how you can be of service to your fellow man and how 
you can leverage your particular skills to improve the world around you mm. um, and help That's other good. people to do to do that for themselves and, and for their families and their communities. Um, and as you mentioned, the intrinsic reward of that can never be purchased. Um, it always has to be earned. And there is no amount of money. Jeff Bezos cannot buy that experience. No, 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 absolutely not. The question just popped up in, into my mind as you were, were talking about uh, providing that last answer. And um, I, I'd like to pose this to you with the caveat that feel hmm. free not to answer. Um, okay. And I, I shall take absolutely no offense. But okay. for the benefit of, of, of an audience primarily composed of writers who are seeking authentic characters and authentic real-life descriptions based on experience, as someone who lives in London and has been through at this point a number of terrorist-driven action and bombings within that fantastic city, would you be willing to talk a little bit about what it is like to live there and experience these things happening and still manage to go to the grocery store? Yeah, I mean, essentially, I would. I think people... People face all kinds of problems. Um, and I, I was very, very lucky. I wasn't on um, the tube that uh, got hit all those years ago. Um, I ended up taking um, the day off, which was just really, really lucky because that was the tube that I used. Um, it didn't stop me from going to work the next day. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that you naturally have a sense of vigilance within you. You kind of like have a reverberation inside you that says you've got to keep looking. You've got to keep positive. You can't let, you can't let them get at you. Okay. From a psychological point of view, lots of people were really shattered around that time but a lot of my friends i was talking to them and you know you have to be you have to be careful you have to keep a lookout but you have to let that moment go and live your life and if you don't then actually the terrorists have already won because they've broken you okay they haven't blown you up they haven't shot you or killed you but you still uh you will be broken if you don't m move on and actually move on quickly. But you've still got to keep that kind of vigilance, that constant surveillance, look at people, not in a, not in a bad way, but just to know what to look for um, and just to be alert. Um, it's true, that saying, um, when they say, you know, if you... Uh, it's only the paranoid survive. <laughs> it is true. It is true. But you don't want to take it to the edge either. Mm -hmm. So again, I've got this big thing about balance in a person. And after you start to adjust after terrible things like, you know, the bombing of your hometown, the bombing of a city, you still need to say, okay, I've got to live my life. You can't let them break you. That's essentially what I'm saying. And I, I've done psychology a long time ago, um, and I've uh, uh, taken on board discussions with uh, various individuals about that, about that very thing. And you just need to be vigilant. You need to be alert, but you also need to live your life. And as, as we're talking, I'm looking over, I have a stack of, uh, in my bookcase, my reference material is closest to my keyboard. Um, and in there's a biography of Churchill and above my desk is a large poster, uh, keep calm and carry on. And yes. I think a lot of the things that you're talking about are really inherent to recent British culture, recent British society and, and allowing the individual to uh, as an individual in making those intrinsic values of 
succeeding and declaring victory by going to get produce the next day. Yeah, absolutely. A large victory in itself. Absolutely. As I said, you can't let them beat you. You cannot let anyone of any terrorism group who have the audacity to do that kind of thing, the you know, ultimate brutality to hit at your own society, to hit at your own self. You can't you cannot allow that. I am I'm really hopeful for the future as well. Um, I'm not just about my writing, but about the future in general. I think everybody's a bit doom and gloom, but I'm not. I'm I'm very, very positive for the future. And I think things there will be a significant change and a significant turnaround. And people's fortunes will change this year. And 2021 will be the year that there will be a major turnaround and people will be happy again. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I wonder what other projects you have going right now, your current work in progress, your planned releases for the rest of this year and this, uh, maybe even this series, what, what can readers look forward to uh, from your writing and maybe where can they connect with you? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm on Facebook, obviously. Um, so they can find me under uh, Michelle Medhat. Um, so that's where I am. I've also got my own uh, Facebook group, the weird, the wonderful and the way out world of the Mish. Um, I also have a very, um, I think it's quite a slick uh, website. Uh, it's called Forever, as in F-O-R-E-V-E-R hyphen connected dot com. Now that's got all kinds of different uh, things on it. it. As I say, I have the Trusted Thriller series, which is five uh, books. The first one's the Trusted, the second one's the Dominant, the, ref the Resonance, the Refracted and the Sum. I had to think then because there's quite a few. Um, they're all part of the Trusted Thriller series. I also have a freebie um, so that enables people to uh, grab hold of Operation Snowdrop, which happens two years prior to the events in Operation Oystercatcher. The Trusted is two years once again, which is 2017. So Snowdrop is 2013. Oystercatcher is 2015. The Trusted is 2017. So all these things happen. If you go to forever-connected.com slash operation snowdrop, all one word, you can sign up and you can sign to my newsletter. My newsletter is called Fearless Spies, Amazing Realms and Ice Cold Villains. Now that comes out a couple of times a month. Um, I usually have videos, free books, offers, competitions, all kinds of cool stuff around the trusted universe, but also around different things uh, within spy fiction, technology, um, crime thrillers um, from uh, my author friends as well. So it is a really, really good thing to sign up to. In terms of what I'm doing in the future, um, I haven't got anything work in progress at the moment, apart from a few scurrying thoughts around my neurons, um, which is essentially trying to figure out another operations. Because I've actually written the finale, which is the sum of the Trusted Thriller series, I'm actually working uh, backwards. Mm -hmm. So everything I'm writing now at the moment, I'm still within the trusted universe, but it's all prequel stuff. So it's all the stuff that Sam Noor and Matthew Kinley um, and others within the MI6 and also the CIA as well are involved in. So there's going to be another operations. I don't know what it's called at the moment, but it's going to be a massive one. And it's going to be the one that took a hundred billion dollars from Salam al-Duri. Um, so he, he wasn't brought down, but his terrorism cash pile 
was significantly reduced, saving somewhere in the region of 25 to 30 million lives. So, you know, that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's something that's referenced. I think it's in the dominant, if I can uh, recall rightly. But I've just I've as I say, I've got a lot of ideas. I just need to roll it through. But that will be quite a significant operations. One of the, my favorite things uh, is ending our show with a hypothetical. And yeah. uh, God forbid that it should come to pass, Mish. But if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you had been murdered, I wonder what task force of at least two fictional spies you would assign your own homicide investigation, and it has to be spies you don't write. Okay. Um, I would definitely want Jason Bourne. <laughs> Perfect. I would have Jason Bourne, and I would probably have Jack Ryan. Those two. Yeah. Well, Jack Ryan is one of my favorite long-term characters. I feel like he's an old friend at this point. I love him. I love him so much. Um, Jack Ryan, because of his, um, the way in which he started his analytical kind of background and then going back into the field and all that kind of stuff. He's just perfect. He's absolutely, absolutely perfect. And Jason Bourne's got all the right skills. You mm, know, he, yes. he's got, he's got the trade craft, but he's also got that kind of ability of saying, well, you know, absolutely not a problem i'm going to bash down every damn door and find out who killed mish you know that's it basically and you need that tenacity you also have that with jack ryan and i think they would be really really good as a duo who would actually put my murderer to task mm -hmm. and probably tack him against the wall and do terrible things to him which is exactly what i would want yes. <laughs> vengeance <laughs> shall be yours <laughs> absolutely absolutely and i recently spoke with uh, with mark cameron who's um writing the the jack ryan portion of yeah. the uh of the continuing of the jack ryan tom clancy series and he and i were, were talking about the character jack ryan and one of the things that is most interesting to me from a, a craft standpoint is that Tom Clancy wrote Jack Ryan very differently from all of our other modern protagonists. Yeah. He doesn't have a character flaw. Yeah. And his strongest attributes and most endearing aspects, I think, to me as a reader, are that he doesn't suffer from a lot of the foibles that I do. And you know, he understands the limits of his knowledge, of his power, and he's incredibly gracious yes. with everyone around him, even if, even when they're an enemy, but he still is unafraid to pull the trigger. Yeah. And to me, right. he's got to be just about the most perfect character that's been written, but also doesn't conform with what we would say are the rules for writing fiction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, Ironically, um, one of the most recent reviews that came out uh, for The Trusted, mm -hmm. and I consider this really high praise, uh, was just a couple of days ago. And somebody said that it really does feel a little bit like Tom Clancy. So uh, I was like, wow! <laughs> well, I, I would have that blown up in banner size and hanging over my desk. <laughs> I, I mean, it like okay you know i mean a lot of people have said that i write like ian fleming mm -hmm. um tom clancy has been the very first this i think it's probably the very first time but anyway um it might not be but i think it's probably because it's so recent um mm -hmm. as i say just a couple of days ago and that was that was terrific i was really really pleased about that um i don't think sam nor is anything like jack ryan i mean mm -hmm. sam is a very very different character completely he's a very complex character he's a very hard character he he conceals um for 10 years that he is mi6 from his wife ellie nor mm. And he does it um, very, very well indeed. And she does not suspect a thing. Um, so he has literally this ability to compartmentalize. And he's, he's 
not just analytical, but he's also a bit broken in mm -hmm. some areas. He's very, very dark. Um, and he, he will step right over the line. He will step right over the line and probably do things that we will say, oh, goodness gracious, that is wrong. That is really, really wrong. And I had a, a few moments when I thought, should I be writing this? Mm -hmm. But then I thought, well, heck, why not? You know? <laughs> when that opportunity finally casts itself upon us, I look very forward to finding a pub somewhere near your office or residence where we can break some bread together and uh, share, share a, a pint of Tetley's would be absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Or a JD. Yes. Uh, that is my, that is my, uh, everybody knows it's throughout all the books and everything else and everywhere. JD is my tipple of choice. <laughs> I like that. Fantastic, Gavin. I am so incredibly grateful for your time and your expertise and your willingness to have these candid conversations to help writers. those more authentic cops, crimes and criminals in their stories. And it's been such an honor and pleasure having you here, and I absolutely wish you all the best of luck. And for everyone who hasn't uh, already downloaded or pre-ordered Dead Silence so that you can get Operation Oyster Catcher, you're only cheating yourself. Absolutely. Thank you ever so much indeed for uh, having me on the show. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese. And this episode's guest has been Michelle Medhat. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there. Mish, I wonder if you might be willing to share uh, with listeners some aspect of your own background, your own personal experiences that help you write with greater authenticity and thinking of um, some of the elements that we've discussed um, before we started the show about um, times that you have put yourself at personal risk or experienced danger or had some, some encounter with espionage elements or terrorism or something that has allowed you to lend greater authenticity to your espionage-based characters. I had a I had a whale of a time when I was twenty eight. It was a wonderful time. I was um, over over in Dubai setting up a university with Sam. Mm. Um, it was an English university, um, and uh, it was all based on the on the British system, mm -hmm. and it was completely new. I mean, and uh, when I say that I set it up with my husband, I actually did that. So there was nothing there. They mm -hmm. gave us a building. And that was it. So we had to people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, really. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, the, the logistics of creating a, an education facility, much less a system, um, is a massive undertaking. And oh uh, wow, you cannot. And we had it running within three months. Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> we didn't sleep much. <laughs> yeah, yeah, three months of 120-hour work weeks. Yeah, I know how that oh, happened. Yeah. Yeah. It was just crazy, but you can only do that when you're young. You can only do that when no, you're young. And, and, it would near kill me if I did something like that. Yeah, and it was something <laughs> that, you, that you're passionate about and that you believe yeah. in making it succeed against all the odds. Um, oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it was absolutely crazy. I mean, the British Embassy was really, really supportive and everything else. Um, but we had other people uh, all around the world. We had Americans, we had Australians. Mm -hmm. Uh, we had people from New Zealand. Um, we had uh, obviously um, uh, people from the likes of Turkey, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we had Moroccans as well. You know, so it it was really quite a fascinating time. I mean, really multicultural as well, mm -hmm. uh, but it was very dangerous because mm -hmm. it was um, it was um, the uh, co-education. Mm -hmm. So we were putting boys and girls in the same class together. And Which this was a, quite, a very different wow. a new thing over there. Yeah. Wow. We had death threats. We mm -hmm. had death threats every day. Uh, my husband had a Kalashnikov put in his face. Um, we had to check underneath the car for bombs every day. 
Um, it was it was really crazy. <laughs> yeah, but and, anyway. and, yeah, and to have to have done all of that and faced all of that that experience that knowing that mm. you have that intestinal fortitude mm. to Absolutely. not be cowed nope. doing Never. what you know is wrong um no. is absolutely a i think a very liberating thing for people to experience oh yes absolutely uh i mean i'm actually one of these individuals who's pretty fearless um <laughs> in fact my, mom, <laughs> my late mum used to call me where there's no sense there's no feeling <laughs> She was just to yes. say, you know, you're, you're, you're fearless to the point of stupidity, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that, that's me. That's me. I'm, I'm just that all over, basically. Um, I mean, I've, I have saved lives uh, mm -hmm. as a result of that yes. attitude as well. Yes. So. Well, and I, I think... You just do it, don't for, you? <laughs> yeah, well, and I, I think for for one person right like you know you, anecdotally you know in our western society we always talk about the the ideal of one person being able to make a difference and then the practicality of yeah it's the point i'm only one person but the the reality of what you've just talked about is that payoff that mm. one or two dedicated people with with help and assistance especially from people who want to see positive change can absolutely, absolutely change the world in at mm. least one place Absolutely. And to have been able to do that for especially the girls and the women of, oh, of yeah. Dubai their future is permanently and positively altered oh, yeah. there's a linchpin on their timeline in their lives where there's a new positive trajectory because of what you have done and I am yeah. so envious of, <laughs> of, you, of you knowing exactly where your linchpin is absolutely i mean that's why we came back as well we um i mean uh, sam headed up a few companies and stuff like that and then he worked a lot with the government um and then we started a charity and we helped over seven hundred thousand kids wow. um change their lives um as a result of improving the teaching and learning of science engineering and technology throughout mm -hmm. the uk um, so we did a lot. We raised funds. We also donated funds. We sold our house, moved into a tiny flat so that we could actually start the whole thing off. Um, so we sold this massive seven bedroom house and then wow. moved into a tiny flat in London um, and, um, and invested the money into actually giving grants. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's it's just a phenomenal experience. And when you see people writing, you have changed my life. Mm. I cannot mm. thank you enough. I would not be where I am. I mean, we've changed people who were, you know, destined to go into drugs or mm. destined to go into crime, you know, from broken families. There was one kid who was 15 years old and he was uh, looking after his uh, mum uh, she was disabled. The father was a drunkard. He'd walked out, you know, he'd literally broken both her legs to a point where she couldn't walk. Um, and this kid got really into science. He would have gone into a gang easily because mm -hmm. that was the kind of trajectory that he was moving in. And he, and he, he sat in a room and he said, you've changed my life completely. I know exactly where I'm going. And, you know, to have that kind of, that kind of feedback, you just, you can't buy that. You can't no. buy that, that kind of feeling. And that's why I, okay, I may have gone down all kinds of different routes. I mean, you know, with a background like finance and law, I could have gone into the city and indeed I did uh, um, in the very, very early days of uh, my career. And I didn't like it. I didn't mm. like that kind of like inbuilt, you've got to do this, you've got to mm -hmm. do that, you've got to be the millionaire that, you know, everybody expects you to be and you've got to step on people and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. I wasn't into that at all. I, that doesn't mean to say that I'm not an idiot either. I mean, <laughs> you know, I make money as well. <laughs> but at the same time, I can't, I can't have that kind of mindset that city people have. Mm -hmm. 
it's just not me. It's just not me. So that's why I went in a completely different um, direction. And I found myself from, you know, doing heavy corporate finance into uh, programming chips, <laughs> silicon <laughs> chips, you know. <laughs> so it's a completely different thing, completely yes. different thing. But that was, that was something that I knew I'd found my home. Mm-hmm. And it's more a spiritual home than even a kind of a, it's something that I was very, very comfortable and that's what you've got to be and then obviously you know uh, over time there's been lots and lots of other things that have uh, taken over and i've uh, been part of the institute now the, the innovation institute and we're professionalizing innovation throughout the uk and as i say we work a lot with defense with security with aerospace with all the um kind of key defense uh, organizations in the uk as well as transportation life sciences um, construction, uh, instrumentation, manufacturing, all all those kind of uh, areas um, to improve innovation capabilities in in um, as I say product or or people or culture or the uh, overall uh, business model because particularly with COVID everything's changing mm-hmm. uh, yes. and and people are finding that they need to innovate quicker and quicker and in different ways as well. So we're moving more into digitization as well now um, and how people can actually harness digital to actually drive their, their innovation capabilities. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Well, it, you know, I, I think what it, it really sounds like to me in hearing you speak about all this is that you have ultimately found your calling and how you can be of service to your fellow man and how you can leverage your particular skills to improve the world around you Mm. um, and help other people to do, to do that for themselves and and for their families and their communities. Um, And as you mentioned, the intrinsic reward of that can never be purchased. Um, It always has to be earned and there is no amount of money. Jeff Bezos cannot buy that experience. No. No, no, absolutely not. The question just popped up into my mind as you were were talking about uh, providing that last answer. And um, I'd like to pose this to you with the caveat that feel Mm. free not to answer. Um, Okay. And I I shall take absolutely no offense. But for the benefit of, of, of an audience primarily composed of writers who are seeking authentic characters and authentic real life descriptions based on experience as someone who lives in London and has been through at this point, a number of terrorist driven action and bombings within that fantastic city. Would you be willing to talk a little bit about what it is like to live there and experience these things happening and still manage to go to the grocery store? Yeah. I mean, essentially I would. I think people people face all kinds of problems, um, and I I was very very lucky. I wasn't on um, the tube that uh, got hit all those years ago. Um, I ended up taking um, the day off, which was just really really lucky because that was the tube that I used. Um, it didn't stop me from going to work the next day. Mm -hmm. But what happens is that you naturally have a sense of vigilance within you. You kind of like have a reverberation inside you that says you've got to keep looking. You've got to keep positive. You can't let, you can't let them get at you. Okay, from a psychological point of view, lots of people were really shattered around that time. But a lot of my friends, I was talking to them and, you know, you have to be, you have to be careful, you have to keep a lookout, but you have to let that moment go and live your life. And if you don't, then actually the terrorists have already won because they've broken you okay, they haven't blown you up, they haven't shot you or killed you, but you still, uh, you will be broken if you don't move on and actually move on quickly. 
but you've still got to keep that kind of vigilance, that constant surveillance, look at people, not in a, not in a bad way, but just to know what to look for um, and just to be alert. Um, it's true that saying um, when they say, you know, if you, uh, it's only the paranoid survive, <laughs> it is true. It is true, but you don't want to take it to the edge either. Mm -hmm. So again, I've got this big thing about balance in a person. And after you start to adjust after terrible things like, you know, the bombing of your hometown, the bombing of a city, you still need to say, okay, I've got to live my life. You can't let them break you. That's essentially what I'm saying. And I, I've done psychology a long time ago um, and I've uh, taken on board discussions with uh, various individuals about that, about that very thing. And you just need to be vigilant, you need to be alert, but you also need to live your life. And as, as we're talking, I'm looking over, I have a stack of, uh, in my bookcase, my reference material is closest to my keyboard. Um, and, and there's a biography of Churchill and above my desk is a large poster, uh, keep calm and carry on. And yes. I think a lot of the things that you're talking about are really inherent to recent British culture, recent British society and, and allowing the individual to uh, as an individual in making those intrinsic values of succeeding and declaring victory by going to get produce the next day yeah, is absolutely a large victory in itself absolutely as i said you can't let them beat you you cannot let anyone of any terrorism group who have the audacity to do that kind of thing the you know ultimate brutality to hit at your own society to hit at your own self you can't, you cannot allow that. I am, I'm really hopeful for the future as well. Um, I'm not just about my writing, but about the future in general. I think everybody's a bit doom and gloom, but I'm not. I'm, I'm very, very positive for the future. And I think things, there will be a significant change and a significant turnaround and people's fortunes will change this year. And 2021 will be the year that there will be a major turnaround and people will be happy again. I'm looking forward to that. And uh, I wonder what other projects you have going right now, your current work in progress, your planned releases for the rest of this year and this, uh, maybe even this series, what, what can readers look forward to uh, from your writing and maybe where can they connect with you? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm on Facebook, obviously. Um, so they can find me under uh, Michelle Medhat. Um, so that's where I am. I've also got my own uh, Facebook group, the weird, the wonderful and the way out world of the Mish. Um, I also have a very, um, I think it's quite a slick uh, website. Uh, it's called Forever as in F-O-R-E-V-E-R hyphen connected dot com. Now that's got all kinds of different uh, things on it. it. As I say, I have the Trusted Thriller series, which is five uh, books. The first one's the Trusted. The second one's the Dominant, the, ref the Resonance, the Refracted and the Sum had to think then because there's quite a few um they're all part of the trusted thriller series i also have a freebie um so that enables people to uh, grab hold of operation snowdrop which happens two years prior to the events in operation oyster catcher the trusted is two years once again which is 2017 so snowdrop is 2013 
Oyster Catch is 2015, The Trusted is 2017. So all these things happen. If you go to forever-connected.com slash operation snowdrop, all one word, you can sign up and you can sign to my newsletter. My newsletter is called Fearless Spies, Amazing Realms and Ice Cold Villains. Now that comes out a couple of times a month. Um, I usually have videos, free books, offers, competitions, all kinds of cool stuff around the trusted universe, but also around different things uh, within spy fiction, technology, um, crime thrillers um, from uh, my author friends as well. So it is a really, really good thing to sign up to. In terms of what I'm doing in the future, um, I haven't got anything work in progress at the moment, apart from a few scurrying thoughts around my neurons, um, which is essentially trying to figure out another operations. Because I've actually written the finale, which is the sum of the Trusted Thriller series, I'm actually working uh, backwards. Mm -hmm. So everything I'm writing now at the moment, I'm still within the trusted universe, but it's all prequel stuff. So it's all the stuff that Sam Noor and Matthew Kinley um, and others within the MI6 and also the CIA as well are involved in. So there's going to be another operations. I don't know what it's called at the moment, but it's going to be a massive one. And it's going to be the one that took a hundred billion dollars from Salam al-Duri. Um, so he, he wasn't brought down, but his terrorism cash pile was significantly reduced, saving somewhere in the region of 25 to 30 million lives. So, you know, that's a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that's something that's referenced. I think it's in the dominant, if I can uh, recall rightly, but I've just, I've, as I say, I've got a lot of ideas, I just need to roll it through, but that will be quite a significant operations. One of the, my favorite things uh, is ending our show with a hypothetical. And yeah. uh, God forbid that it should come to pass, Mish, but if you were to wake up tomorrow and find that you had been murdered, I wonder what task force of at least two fictional spies you would assign your own homicide investigation and it has to be spies you don't write. Okay. Um, I would definitely want Jason Bourne. <laughs> Perfect. I would have Jason Bourne and I would probably have Jack Ryan. Those two. Yeah. Now, Jack Ryan is one of my favorite long-term characters. I feel like he's an old friend at this point. I love him. I love him so much. Um, Jack Ryan, because of his... Um, the way in which he started his analytical kind of background and then going back into the field and all that kind of stuff. He's just perfect. He's absolutely, absolutely perfect. And Jason Bourne's got all the right skills. You know, he, yes. he's got, he's got the trade craft, but he's also got that kind of ability of saying, well, you know, absolutely not a problem i'm gonna bash down every damn door and find out who killed mish you know that's it basically and you need that tenacity you also have that with jack ryan and i think they would be really really good as a duo who would actually put my murderer to task mm -hmm. and probably tack him against the wall and do terrible things to him which is exactly what i would want yes <laughs> vengeance <laughs> shall be yours <laughs> absolutely absolutely and i recently spoke with uh, with mark cameron who's um writing the the jack ryan portion of yeah. the uh of the continuing of the jack ryan tom clancy series and he and i were, were talking about the character jack ryan and one of the things that is most interesting to me from a a craft standpoint is that Tom Clancy wrote Jack Ryan very differently from all of our other modern protagonists. Yeah. He doesn't have a character flaw. Yeah. And his strongest attributes and most endearing aspects, I think, to me as a reader, 
are that he doesn't suffer from a lot of the foibles that I do. And, you know, he understands the limits of his knowledge, of his power, and he's incredibly gracious with everyone around him, even if, even when they're an enemy, but he still is unafraid to pull the trigger. And to me, he's got to be just about the most perfect character that's been written, but also doesn't conform with what we would say are the rules for writing fiction. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, ironically, um, one of the most recent reviews that came out uh, for The Trusted, Mm -hmm. and I consider this really high praise, uh, was just a couple of days ago. And somebody said that it really does feel a little bit like Tom Clancy. So uh, I was like, wow. <laughs> uh, I, I would have that blown up in banner size and hanging over my desk. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it was like, okay. You know, I mean, a lot of people have said that I write like Ian Fleming. Mm-hmm. Um, Tom Clancy has been the very first, this, I think it's probably the very first one. But anyway, um, it might not be, but I think it's probably because it's so recent. Um, mm-hmm as I say, just a couple of days ago. And that was, that was terrific. I was really, really pleased about that. Um, I don't think Sam Noor is anything like Jack Ryan. I mean, mm-hmm. Sam is a very, very different character completely. He's a very complex character. He's a very hard character. He, he conceals um, for 10 years that he is MI6 from his wife, Ellie Noor. Mm. He does it um, very, very well indeed. And she does not suspect a thing. Um, So he has literally this ability to compartmentalize. And he's, he's not just analytical, but he's also a bit broken in Mm. some areas. He's very, very dark. Um, and he he will step right over the line. He will step right over the line and probably do things that we will say, oh, goodness gracious, that is wrong. That is really, really wrong. And I had a, a few moments when I thought, should I be writing this? Mm-hmm. But then I thought, well, heck, why not, you know? <laughs> yes. When that opportunity finally casts itself upon us, I look very forward to finding a pub somewhere near your office or residence where we can break some bread together and uh, share, share a, a pint of Tetley's would be absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. Or a JD. Yes. Uh, that is my, <laughs> that is my, uh, everybody knows it's throughout all the books and everything else and everywhere. JD is my tipple of choice. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Fantastic, Gavin. I am so incredibly grateful for your time and your expertise and your willingness to have these candid conversations to help writers, those more authentic cops, crimes, and criminals in their stories. And it's been such an honor and pleasure having you here. And I absolutely wish you all the best of luck. And for everyone who hasn't uh, already downloaded or pre-ordered Dead Silence so that you can get Operation Oyster Catcher, you're only cheating yourself. Absolutely. Thank you ever so much indeed for uh, having me on the show. You've been listening to Writers on the Beat, where crime writers meet crime fighters, a copyrighted broadcast of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. I'm your host, Gavin Reese, and this episode's guest has been Michelle Medhat. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other. Be safe out there. (laughs) 